Verse number one, the Bible says this. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord came, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I have said unto Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage for unto this people shall... Thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make, make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Today I want to speak for a few minutes to this subject. Let courage lead. Let courage lead. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for what you've already done today at the 8.30 and the 10 o'clock service, Lord. And God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word right here at the 11.30 service. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit right now in this moment, Lord, that I would say exactly what you want me to say. Lord, I pray that we can be encouraged and inspired and edified in our time together. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with it all. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today. I read an article this week about a man uh, that was observing a robbery in London a few years ago. This is a true story where uh, there were uh, several different uh, thieves, and uh, in fact, five thieves that were robbing this one woman, uh, trying to steal her purse. They'd kind of surrounded her, and, and uh, they were trying to take her purse from her. And this uh, man that was watching was an 88-year-old Korean War veteran named John Nixon, and he was watching this take place, and he decided to step up and to do something about this. And so he approached those. Uh, men that were trying to take that person, he said, hey, stop. And they did stop, and they looked at him, and they said, okay, we'll take your money. And uh, they started going towards him, and he said, no, you won't. And the article that I read said uh, literally that the first thing that he did uh, was he karate chopped the guy in the neck. His training kind of kicked in. He just karate chopped him in the neck. And the article said that he went on, uh, this man, and he uh, fist fought and beat up the other four guys until they eventually fled the scene. And, uh, and uh, I read that story, and I just thought, this guy is awesome, right? Like, how cool is this guy uh, to do that? Uh, several different uh, newspapers uh, uh, interviewed him after the incident and asked him about it, and they said, weren't you afraid? And he responded by saying this, fear is not in my dictionary. 
Fear is not in my dictionary. I read that and I thought, you know, that, that's a pretty cool story for this man to step up to the plate and to demonstrate an act of courage. But the reality for most of us today is fear is still in our dictionary. And fear is often an ever-present reality that, that we deal with. Uh, fear comes in many different shapes and sizes. Uh, the other day we were at home and my daughter Liv needed to get her backpack out of the car that was in the garage, but she refused to go into the garage because she saw some crickets on the ground. And so she said, Dad, can you please go and uh, get my backpack for me? Uh, I don't want to go out there. And I said, absolutely not. You have to conquer your fear of going out and, and facing the crickets. And she never did uh, go out and get her backpack that day, uh, but she let her fear kind of hold her back. You know, uh, fear comes in all different shapes and sizes, and maybe today uh, you are not fearful of uh, something physical or some sort of physical danger, or maybe you're not afraid of crickets or of heights or, or spiders, uh, but the reality is, is we can all be afraid of something. Perhaps uh, you are fearful of speaking the truth of what you believe. Uh, perhaps you are afraid uh, at the direction in which our nation is headed. Uh, perhaps as a parent today, you are fearful of what kind of world your children are going to be raised uh, around. And uh, perhaps you are fearful of being rejected in a certain circle of friends, or, or, or you are fearful of, of what might happen with the economy and with uh, your financial situation. Fear comes in all different shapes and sizes. And when fear starts to infiltrate our minds and our hearts, we must respond as the people of God with a biblical perspective. We must respond with a perspective that comes from Scripture. And the Bible says this in Psalm 118, verse number 6, the Lord is on my side. And can we just pause for a second? Uh, because if you can let that reality get a hold of your heart and your life, it would change everything. That the Lord is on your side. That he is not against you. That he is for you. And you need to know that one plus God is always the majority. I don't know what you're up against or who you're up against, but I know this. The Lord is on your side. Aren't you thankful for that today? The Lord is on your side. Therefore, the psalmist says, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Today, you have a decision to make. You can either let fear control you and in so doing cripple you, or you can let your faith calm you. Because I believe that God has created us for courage. I believe that he's built us to be brave. And when we talk about this kind of courage and bravery, uh, we're not just simply talking about a personality type of someone that is just very confident. Because the reality is, is self-confidence can actually be the greatest enemy of a God dependence. When you are just self-confident and you know the plan, you know what you're going to do, but uh, you're not relying uh, upon the Lord and his strength and in his help. I remember when my son Luke was first learning how to walk. Uh, he was learning how to walk, and I kept on telling him whenever we were around cars or a street, I would say, Luke, you have to hold my hand. You have to hold my hand. I would grab his hand. And he got tired of that, and uh, he didn't want uh, to hold my hand. And I remember one day he looked at me, and he said, Dad, I'll hold my own hand. And he went like this. And he just walked across the street uh, with his hand like that. And uh, very self-sufficient. And, uh, you know, the reality is that sometimes spiritually uh, we're holding our own hand. Uh, sometimes we are relying on ourselves and on our own strength and what we can bring to the table rather than saying, I am weak, I'm just a sinner in need of a savior, and I need to rely completely and wholeheartedly upon Jesus and Jesus alone. And so uh, when we talk about fear and courage in this series, uh, we have to recognize that it doesn't mean that we'll never feel fear. 
It doesn't mean that we'll never feel afraid. Uh, There is even a healthy and natural fear. If my uh, children are going to run to the edge of a cliff, I would hope that they would have a natural fear to stay away uh, from the edge. Uh, But what we have to understand is that when fear arises in our hearts or in our lives, we cannot allow that fear to dictate or to control our decisions. Um, uh, Having courage is not uh, the absence of fear. In fact, A.W. Tozer put put it exactly that way. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the ability to continue in the face of it, the ability to move forward even when we're uncertain as to what might happen. Now, to give us a little bit of context this morning as to uh, the book of Joshua and what we're going to be studying today, uh, in the book of Joshua, in the first chapter alone, we see that courage is mentioned four different times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And Uh, The Bible does not say, uh, mention courage four times because Joshua, the character, was so courageous. In fact, the Bible tells uh, us that uh, this is mentioned because the task ahead of Joshua was so big that the only way that he would be successful and prosper is if he had courage. And so over and over again, the Lord tells him, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Now, if you're a little bit hazy as to where we are in Scripture... I'll catch you up to speed a little bit. Uh, God liberated his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he allowed Moses to be the leader and the mediator uh, that would lead the people in this exodus out of Egypt. Uh, Because of their sin, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, God uh, led, led them right up to the edge of this promised land. Now, when we talk about the promised land, the reason we call it the promised land is because it was the land that God promised to Abraham and to his people. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God made this promise saying, I will give you this land. He leads them all the way up to this land, but he does not allow Moses to enter into this land. If you remember, because of Moses' disobedience, God said, Moses, I'm going to let you see the land, the promised land, but I'm not going to let you enter into it. I will raise up Joshua, and Joshua will be the one uh, to lead the people into this land that I have promised uh, them. By the way, uh, the gap between Genesis chapter 12 and Joshua chapter 1 is about 500 years. 500 years uh, from the time that God made the promise unto the fulfillment of that promise. But by the way, aren't you thankful, even though it was 500 years later, that God is always faithful to keep his promises. And he promised the land, and now they're on the edge, and Joshua is about to lead them into this land. And in so doing, in chapter number one, I believe that there are several different, uh, several different components that we can apply to our lives when it comes to courage. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to give us uh, four different ways today that we can find courage in our lives. If you're ready today, would you say amen? amen. The first way that we can find courage is to surrender to God's purpose. Many times, we don't uh, operate and function with courage because we are not fulfilling the purpose and the calling that God has for us. We're not walking on the right path, and therefore we don't feel courageous because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs chapter 28, verse number one. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. And so even though no one is chasing you, when you're not on the path that God has for you, the wicked is running away, uh, looking over his shoulder and worried and in fear, even when there is no present danger. And yet the righteous are bold as a lion. 
And so when you are on the, on the path of your purpose and when you are being faithful to what God has called you to do, there will be spiritual confidence in that because you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. And therefore, the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because we are fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. Now, uh, Joshua was going to uh, demonstrate this for us. He's going to show us how he was faithful to the purpose that God had for him. And he was faithful to this purpose even when it seemed small and insignificant. Notice our text in verse number one. I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. Notice verse number one, it says this. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying. Now, We're introduced to Joshua in verse number one, but this is not the first time that the scripture mentions Joshua. Uh, We learned about him several other times previously. And we know that Joshua was a son. It might seem obvious, but the Bible says 30 different times that he was the son of none. He was the son of none, which meant that he brought honor to his parents. Uh, He was a son. He was a slave. Uh, He was born in Egypt as a slave. And so Joshua was not uh, unfamiliar with adversity and hardship. He was a son. He was born uh, into slavery. The Bible tells us also that he was a soldier, that he was a mighty uh, man of war, that he was a leader. He was a captain. He was a soldier. Uh, The Bible also tells us that Joshua was a spy. And uh, uh, one time Moses sent out 12 different spies to spy out the land of Canaan. How many of you remember this story? The 12 spies get sent out, and uh, 10 of those spies were bad, and two of those spies were good. How many of you know the song? Anybody? Daniel knows the song. Daniel, come up here for a second and help me out with this song. Did you bring your vocal cords with you today, Daniel? All right. Hurry up. Hustle. All right. So... So the song that I learned when I was in elementary school, did you learn it when you were in elementary school? All right, it's a treat that you're in for today, all right? 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? 10 were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes of clusters long. What do you think they saw in Canaan? 10 were bad and two were good. That's essentially it, okay, good job, Daniel. I can't ever quite remember the very ending of it, but um, you get the idea, okay? So 10 spies were bad, two spies were good. Joshua and Caleb, those were uh, the, good, the good spies. They said, hey, we can go and take this land. We can get the land that God uh, has promised to us. And so uh, Joshua was a son. He was a, he was a slave. He was a soldier. He was a spy. But do you want to know my favorite description of Joshua? Does anybody want to? Okay. <laughs> I'll sit down if you want. My favorite description of Joshua is that he was a servant. Because the Bible says in verse number one, at the end of verse number one, Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. The word minister means servant. Sometimes in our context in 2023, we think of minister as the pastor or the preacher, but the word minister uh, means servant. And we believe at Rock Hill that every member is a minister, that every saint is a servant, that all of us are called to serve, and that's exactly what Joshua did. Long before Joshua was a mighty soldier, he was a humble servant. He was simply Moses' assistant. He was a servant. In fact, the Bible says this in Exodus chapter 33, verse number 11. The Bible says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. We saw this verse in our Talk to God series as Moses was praying and talking to God. It says, and he turned again into the camp, but his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out 
of the tabernacle. And so we are introduced to Joshua as a young man. What did he do? He was faithfully serving the Lord. He was faithfully serving Moses as his minister. He was standing outside the tabernacle doing the little things. This was not a glamorous job. This was not a job in front of a lot of people. He was saying, hey, whatever needs to be done, that's what I'm willing to do. Hey, do you need me to take out the trash? Do you need me to clean the toilets? Do you need me to shine your shoes? Hey, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm willing to do. Joshua did not back up because the size of his assignment was seemingly insignificant. He said, I'm going to fulfill my purpose even when it seems small. I'm thankful to be in a place at Rock Hill where we value servant leadership. And I'm thankful for what God did last week over eight different services at Rock Hill, but I'm so thankful that we had 200 servant leaders and volunteers that were serving throughout the weekend that were saying, it's not about us, it's all about God and his glory. And we believe that when you're serving, you're seeing. And I'm thankful that last week we were serving and we got the privilege to see 21 people pray to accept Jesus Christ. And we got to see 11 people baptized. And we got to see 265 children hear the good news of the gospel message. Is anybody thankful today that we're in a place where we get to serve, we don't have to serve. Joshua was demonstrating, I'm going to surrender to my purpose, even when it seems small. Even before I'm leading an army, I'll stand outside Moses' tent and just help him in whatever he needs. That was the heart of Moses. That was the heart of Joshua. By the way, Joshua in many ways points us to head to Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. You want to be more like Jesus? Be more like a servant. Jesus has the heart of a servant to to help. And so Joshua, he was faithful to his purpose, even when it seemed small. But watch this. He was also faithful to his purpose, even when it seemed big, even when it was insurmountable. Notice our text in verse number two. Are you still with me today? Verse two. Moses, my servant, is dead. By the way, God's workers may die, but God's work will never die. Moses is now dead. They had the funeral. This was a sad time. Joshua had pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, crossing the Red Sea, that was a pretty tough act to follow for Joshua. In fact, even today in Jewish circles, Moses is the uh, persona of, uh, uh, of Jewish leadership. Uh, Moses uh, was this larger-than-life character, and now Joshua is stepping into those shoes. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. I love that word, arise. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, arise. It's your move. It's time. Rise up. Arise. Go over this Jordan. That was the Jordan River. Thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. What we learn in Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, is that uh, the Jordan River at this time was overflowing. It was flooded. And so everything about this situation would have been intimidating and overwhelming to Joshua. He had to lead millions of people over the overflowing, flooded banks of the Jordan River. Moses had just died. They just had the funeral. This task seemed very large. But aren't you thankful today that even in funerals and in floods, our God is still faithful? That even when we have a task ahead of us that is seemingly insurmountable, our God is faithful. And if God has called you to it, he will see you through it. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what kind of financial crisis you might be in. I don't know what kind of weight that you are carrying that no one else knows about. I don't know what kind of burden you are facing. But I know this. Our Lord knows and there is nothing that is too hard for him. And with his calling comes his enabling. 
If he's called you to it, he'll see you through it. And, and so this was a seemingly impossible situation. Moses is dead. I'm supposed to lead millions of people over the flooded Jordan River, and God says, arise. It's your move. It's time, Joshua. Notice verse number three. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given you, as I said unto Moses. And then he's going to give some parameters in verse number four of the territory. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. Now, if you look at this on a map, this was a very large area. This covered about 300,000 square miles. This was larger than the state of Texas, this, this land uh, that God had promised to them. But it's interesting, even at the height of their success, Israel, under King David and Solomon, they only ended up claiming about 30,000 square miles of that territory. In other words, they only claimed about one-tenth of what God had promised them. Why? Because the sole of their feet didn't tread upon those uh, areas. That was the one requirement. In other words, they had the possession, but they still had to possess that possession. It was a gift, but they had to open it. You know, so often in our lives, God has blessed us. Ephesians 1.3 tells us that God has blessed us with all heavenly blessings, and we have this possession, but often we don't possess it. I'll give you an example. In James chapter 1, verse number 5, the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, has anybody ever lacked wisdom today in the room? Okay. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, uh, and it shall be given him. That God wants to give us as much wisdom as we need. Wisdom for your job, wisdom for your career, wisdom for your marriage, wisdom for your children. That God wants to pour out his wisdom on your life. But have you asked him for it? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And so when it comes to our possessions, we have to possess uh, those things. We have to go out and seize what God has for us. And so uh, God tells them the expanse of this territory. Then notice verse number five. It says this. There shall, not be, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, that no one is going to defeat you. How many of you would say, that sounds like a pretty amazing promise? No one's going to defeat you. They were unstoppable. They were unbeatable. Uh, this sounds like a great promise. Uh, this past week, we took our kids to see uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. And if you've ever seen the Super Mario Brothers movie, if you've seen, uh, played the game before, there's that star that if you get the star, you're invincible, and you can just kind of run through any obstacle, and uh, nothing can stop you, right? And uh, uh, this must have been the feeling of, man, uh, no one's going to stop you. This sounds like a great promise. But, you know, sometimes we can hear an encouraging, true promise like that, but it doesn't sometimes feel like it matches our reality because no one's going to beat you. You're unstoppable. But then I go out and have a battle and I get cussed out by my boss at work and it feels like I'm having a battle. Even Joshua, as he moved forward, guess what? He had some battles. He had some pain. He had some heartache. And so how do we, how do we reconcile this? Because sometimes life doesn't feel like that. It feels more like the struggle. But there's a verse in Exodus that I believe is so pertinent to understanding this. In Exodus chapter 23, Verse number 30, God was talking about how he would give them the land. And he says this, watch it. By little and little, I will drive them out before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. Did you see that? He says, I am going to give you the victory. I am going to give you the land, but I'm going to do it little by little. In other words, God gave them a promise, but he also gave them a process. It's going to happen little by little. Please hear me today because so many people get frustrated and point the finger back at God when they're not experiencing spiritual victory because so often we want overnight success. 
We want instantaneous results. God, you said you were going to give me the victory, but I'm not experiencing victory. And so God, this is your fault. But what did God say? I'm going to do it little by little. Some of God's greatest works happen little by little. It's a process. You know, the moment that you got saved, there's a Bible word for that. It's justification. It means just as if you'd never been a sinner. That happens in a moment, in an instant. You are justified. You are declared righteous before a holy God. That happens in a moment. But the process of becoming more like Christ once you are saved is called sanctification, and that is a process. And that happens little by little. And so sometimes we can get frustrated because we're not seeing the results right away when God has a process. And so I want to encourage you today. If you're in a moment where you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you're not getting spiritual victory, wait on the Lord. One of the most courageous things that you can do in life is to wait on his timing and to recognize he has a process little by little. But not only does he give us his process, I'm so thankful that he also gives us his presence. Because notice what he says in verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, this would have been the most encouraging thing that Joshua could have heard, because the Lord was with Moses, and Joshua was intimidated. I have to fill Moses' shoes? Uh, Those are pretty big shoes to fill. I don't know if I have it in me. And Joshua could have been very intimidated. But, but, but God says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You know what made Moses a great leader? God. You know what made Joshua a great leader? God. You know what can make you a great leader today for the glory of God? God. It's not about what's within you. It's about who is with you. And Jesus Christ says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the presence of Almighty God with us when we are experiencing overwhelming situations. And so he says, he says to Joshua, I will be with you. And so because of this, we can surrender to God's purpose. Can I encourage you today? Don't fight it. Whatever God's calling you to do, whatever he's asked you to do, whether it's serving, sharing your faith, or giving an apology, or, or, or being honest with someone, whatever God has called you to, don't fight it. Submit to it. Because this is where courage comes from, uh, the submission to uh, God's purpose. Uh, secondly, today, number two, if you're taking notes, stay saturated in Scripture. Notice verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And so what does the Lord tell Joshua here in these verses to do? He says you need to observe the law, and to do everything that is written therein. Well, when he refers to the law, what is he talking about? He's talking about the first five books of the Bible, which Moses wrote. He's talking about the Pentateuch, is what we call the first five books of the Bible. And Joshua didn't have a copy of God's word like we have today, where we can just open up to Joshua chapter 1 and open up to the New Testament and read about Jesus. But what he did have was the law of Moses. He had those first five books of the Bible. And so the Lord was telling Joshua, make sure that you are paying attention to the law. Make sure that you are obeying uh, what scripture has commanded for you to do. In other words, if you want to be brave, you have to be biblical, You have to have a strong foundation. And so what is he telling Joshua as a leader? Stay saturated in scripture. Stay saturated in 
the word of God. I remember the first time I ever preached out somewhere about 15 years ago. I went and I was preaching to a group of teenagers and I was really nervous and I tried to do my best to be prepared, but I showed up and I started preaching and I just felt like it wasn't connecting. I felt like I was kind of stumbling over my words and felt like I wasn't really making sense and it was kind of an awkward feeling. And, and I remember I felt like I did so bad that I just got in the car afterwards and I didn't even talk to anybody. I just drove home afterwards and uh, I just wanted to flee the scene, you know. And uh, my dad, he called me after that. And he called me and said, hey, Matt, how did it go? And I said, it went terrible. I did not do very well. And I just, it didn't go well. I was stumbling over my words. And, and my dad asked me a couple questions that I've always remembered. He said, Matt, did you preach the text? And I said, yes, I tried. I did my best. But I, yeah, I read the verses and I, I tried. And he said, okay. He said, did you use any support verses? And I said, yeah, I had some extra verses in there. Yeah, I read, I read some. And he said, then remember, the word of God will not return void. And you might feel like a failure, but the word of God will never fail. Why? It's not about what I have to say. It's not about what anybody else has to say, but it is about what the word of the Lord has to say. Thus saith the Lord. And so if we want to experience spiritual success, so to speak, we have to stay saturated in scripture. By the way, did you notice in verse number eight at the end, it says, if you do this, you will have good success. It's the only time the word success is mentioned in all of scripture. And it's in correlation with the scripture. Isn't that interesting that there's a direct correlation between success and scripture? That if you want to prosper in the way, you will uh, make sure that you are submitting to God's word. And so what is, what is Joshua uh, learning? He's learning that he has to study the scripture. He says, make sure that you uh, meditate therein day and night. The word meditate uh, comes from the, uh, where we get the idea of a, a cow chewing its grass a cow will often chew its grass, and it'll kind of spit it out, regurgitate it, and it'll kind of chew on it some more and spit it out. Kind of, kind of gross, but the idea is that it's always there. It's always ruminating on, on the cud, on the grass. And that's what the word meditate means, that uh, we are to consider the word of God and think about it and, and uh, set it aside and then come back to it and think on it again. And it's always a part of us. And so God is telling Joshua to study God's word. But then he says at the beginning of verse number eight, you need to also speak God's word. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse number eight. Are you still with me today? He says this, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. He says, these words should never leave you, okay? They should always be a part of your life to where uh, uh, you are always speaking uh, the truth of God's word, that it's just so much of a part of you that it just comes into your natural verbiage. Did you know that as a Christian, it shouldn't be uncomfortable or awkward for you to share scripture in your life? to speak the truth of God's word. He says, don't let these words depart from your mouth. Uh, make sure that they are always a part of you, always with you. And so we have to study God's word, but then we have to speak God's word. And this is so vitally important in the culture in which we're living, that we would speak up for what it is that we believe. I remember uh, recently uh, seeing this meme. I brought a picture of a meme this morning. It says this, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. I don't know if you've ever seen this meme. You know, it's kind of clever. I kind of get the sentiment of it that, that, you know, we're supposed to live in such a way that our actions kind of point people to Jesus. I, I understand that. But I want you to know today that that is theologically wrong, okay? By the way, don't get your theology from a meme, okay? If you see a really great meme that's on a, you know, you see it, it's on a coffee mug or something, make sure you go and check it with scripture first, okay? Preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. The problem is the Bible says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
The Bible, the Bible says, uh, Paul uh, told Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Uh, that at some point, we have to speak up and to declare his glory amongst the nations. At some point, uh, we have to be moved to action and tell someone else about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Yes, we should uh, study God's word, but at some point, we have to speak it. Uh, we have to share uh, the truth of God's word. And so we have to study it. We have to uh, speak God's word. But ultimately, and here's the key. We have to submit to God's word because some people can study it and some people can even speak it. They can wax eloquent. They love talking about the Bible, which I do as well, and we should. But at some point, we actually have to do what the Bible says. At some point, we actually have to submit to it. And so that's why uh, he says in verse number eight, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written there. You have to do it. You have to put it to action. And so we must stay saturated to scripture. Uh, Here's the third thought today. Number three is this. If we're going to find courage, we have to step even when we can't see. Now, this is where faith comes into play. And I want you to see it in verse number nine. It says this. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, now there's a transition that's taking place here. Are you with me today? So up until now, God has been giving Joshua some commands. He's been telling him, hey, be strong and courageous, stay saturated in scripture. But now, starting verse number 10, Joshua is going to go, and he's going to be the one talking to the people. And so this is Joshua in his first time since Moses has died to really step into this leadership role, and he's going to go and speak to the people. So let's see what he says in verse number 11. He says, pass through the host and command the people, saying, prepare you Victuals, victuals, uh, the idea of provision. Get your things uh, together. Make sure that you have your food and your supplies. Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan. By the way, I, I think there's a, uh, an interesting picture here. I love the reference to, in three days you will pass over into this uh, Jordan. In three days you will pass over the Jordan River, and what would happen? They would experience that land that God promised for them. In three days, they would experience this new life that they would have in the promised land. And I don't know about you, but I can't help but think of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and three days later, he offers new life to anyone that puts their faith in him. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave? And three days later, he rose again. And so Joshua tells the people, hey, uh, prepare your supplies in three days. We're going to cross over the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Now, here's what we need to see. Joshua demonstrated great and strong leadership here. He didn't take a poll. He didn't ask questions. He said, this is what we're doing. We are going to cross over the Jordan River in three days. But notice, he didn't give them the particulars. He didn't tell them exactly how they were going to do this. This was seemingly an impossible task with the Jordan River overflowing to lead millions of people across the river. And he says, hey, get ready. In three days, we're going. He didn't tell them how they were going to do it. He just said, we're going to do it. Why? Because sometimes when you are living uh, according to your faith, you have to take a step even when you can't see. You have to be willing to move forward even when you don't know all the details. How many of you would say you're a detail-oriented person? Anybody like that? I, I want to know what the details are. I like itineraries. If I'm going somewhere, I want to know, give me the itinerary, give me the details. I want to know everything that's going to be uh, happening. But sometimes following Jesus, you don't get the itinerary. You don't get all the details. Why? Because we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes we don't take that step because we're waiting for the itinerary. 
We're waiting for all the details to come first. But, but Joshua says, hey, get ready. In three days, we're going to go, and we have to be willing to walk by faith and not by sight. There's this balance here of divine operation and human cooperation, that God was going to give them the land, but he wanted them to put their feet in the dirt. There's this balance of divine operation and human uh, cooperation. I like how one uh, author, Philip Keller, he put it. He said, he, Joshua, has seldom been given the full credit he deserves as perhaps the greatest man of faith ever to set foot on the stage of human history. In fact, his entire brilliant career was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another. And I love this phrase, in quiet compliance with the commands of God. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live my life. I just want to live in quiet compliance to the commands of God. I don't want to live in loud complaining and consternation and frustration. I just want to live in quiet compliance, doing what God has called me to do. And this all leads us to our last uh, point today. Do you have one more in you this morning? Here's the last way that we can find courage. Number four is this. You have to speak life to those around you. (laughs) Speak life to those around you. Now, don't miss this. Because I believe one of the greatest ways in your life that you can receive encouragement. How many of you are interested in receiving encouragement? Anybody like that? One of the greatest ways in your life that you can receive encouragement is to give encouragement. If you want to receive it, you have to know how to give it. There's been times in my life where I've been discouraged. There's been times in my life when I've been overwhelmed. But I determined that I was going to go and do my best to try to be a blessing to someone. To try to instill courage within someone else. And in so doing, as a result, I received encouragement. And so what we're going to see here is that uh, Joshua was surrounded by some people that spoke life into him. And I believe that this is so important for us. Now, as we close the chapter, I want us to see, starting verse number 12, there's kind of an interesting scene that takes place. Joshua has to kind of take care of some house business real quick, some household business, and he talks to two and a half tribes. Don't miss this. I believe there's a spiritual lesson here. He talks to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, okay? He's going to pull over for a second. He just got done talking to everybody. Now he pulls over and he's going to talk to these two and a half tribes. And there's a lesson here. Notice it. Verse number 12. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua saying, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you saying, the Lord, your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land, which Moses gave you on, watch this, this side, Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. And so what's taking place here? Well, Joshua has this little powwow, this little meeting with these two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of Manasseh. And apparently they had made this deal with Moses and asked Moses if they could stay on the east side of Jordan and not to enter into the promised land. Now, they didn't request this because they rejected God or they didn't trust the Lord. They just saw the land that they were in on the east side of Jordan. They looked around and they thought, this looks kind of nice. Maybe we can just stay here. They didn't have bad hearts. They just thought, you know, let's just stay here. This looks kind of nice. And so they asked Moses, can we just stay here on this side of Jordan? And Moses says, okay, you can. But when we cross over, you have to go with us and help us and fight with us and, and go shoulder and shoulder with us. And then you can go back to this land that you like on the east side of Jordan. And so that's what they did. There was nothing inherently wrong with that decision other than this. They settled for less than the best that God had for them. See, it wasn't a problem then, but it became a problem later. Because you know the most vulnerable position for the children of Israel and the nation of Israel were those that settled on the east side of Jordan. 
Because when the Assyrians would come and take them into captivity, when the Babylonians would come and take them into captivity, the first people to go were the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Why? Because they settled for less than the best that God had for them. Can I encourage you today at the 1130 service, don't settle for less than the best that God has for you. There needs to be some followers of Jesus in this room today. There needs to be some parents in this room today, some husbands and some wives that would say, you know what? We're not going to settle on the outskirts of what God has for us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to get right into the middle of what God has for us and get rooted and planted right in the middle. I want my children to be committed right in the middle of the local church. I want my teenagers to be committed right in the middle of the local church. I don't want to be on the outskirts of God's blessing. I want to be all in and right in the middle and at the center of what God is doing. These Reubenites and Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they looked around, they just settled. We'll just stay over here. They settled for less. But then what's interesting is here in this moment when Joshua reminds them of their deal and says, hey, you need to go with us, you need to help us. I like how they respond because they respond with a great attitude. And, and uh, they, they get this picture here of what a great follower should look like. You know, everybody wants to talk about being a great leader. You know, there's there's... Millions of books written on leadership. You know, go on Amazon today, and you can find just hundreds of books uh, on the subject of leadership. And, uh, and everybody wants to talk about leadership in podcasts, but rarely do we talk about what it looks like to be a good follower. Because I believe that if you want to be a good leader, you have to learn how to be a good follower. And here what we see is an example of being a good follower. Notice what our text says in verse number 16. Are you with me? Verse 16. And they commanded Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. And so they said, whatever you want us to do, we're all in. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so we will hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. They prayed for him. They said, hey, uh, we're with you, Joshua. We want to pray for you. We want to help support you. And uh, uh, we're, we're in this with you. Verse 18. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. In other words, they took this very seriously. We're not playing games here. We're not messing around. But then here's what I want you to see and we'll be done today. The last part of verse 18. Only be strong and of good courage. Now, let me ask you a question. Had, had Joshua heard that before? Yes. In fact, three times just in this chapter, he heard that same message. Be strong and courageous. The first three times, it was from the Lord. This time, it was from the people. Sometimes we don't have courage because we're not listening to the Lord. Other times, we don't have courage because we're not surrounding ourselves with the right people. Here were some people that said, Joshua, we're in your corner. Be strong and courageous. And they were speaking life to him. All of us today, myself included, we all need people in our lives, spiritual community that can speak life into our situations. This is why we're so passionate about small groups at Rock Hill, because we believe that we can thrive in the context of community, and we need people in our corner. We need partnership. Uh, we need that kind of community where people say, hey, I want to encourage you and pray for you and help you along the way. And that's what these people were doing for Joshua. You know, a couple years ago, Katie and I, we watched documentary that was called Free Solo. And how many of you have ever seen Free Solo with Alex Honnold? He's a, he's a mountain climber. I think we have a picture this morning. He's famously remembered for climbing, climbing El Capitan in Yosemite with absolutely no ropes. I mean, just imagine uh, climbing that mountain with no ropes at all. And a lot of people like to talk about Alex Honnold and his, 
and his ability to just kind of subdue his fear and to conquer his fear. And if you ask him about it, he'll say that he's had, you know, so many hours of, of preparation and training that, that he kind of tunes out his fear. But so many people have been curious about uh, his ability to do things that require so much courage that the University of South Carolina actually did a study on his brain. Uh, they called him in and they said, you know, we don't think that your fear receptors work the same way as everybody else's. And, and uh, they said, you, you don't feel fear the same way as most people. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, the same should be said about a follower of Jesus, that we don't feel fear the same way as the world. That, yeah, we're going to experience fear in life, but if we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, that we don't have to feel fear the same way. Why? Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so we don't have to feel fear the same way. Yes, life is going to be difficult at times. Yes, we're going to battle insecurities and anxieties and timidity. But can I tell you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we can have the spiritual courage to move forward knowing who is with us. You know, the name Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua. The name Yeshua is the Hebrew name. It's the same name for the Greek name Jesus. That's why when Jesus was growing up as a boy in Nazareth, his name was Yeshua of Nazareth. The name Jesus is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua. It's the same name. It's a name that means God who saves. God is Savior. And 1,200 years after Joshua, the Bible says in Matthew 121, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Yeshua. For he shall save his people from their sins. Joshua, Yeshua was pointing us ahead to Jesus, the only one who can forgive sins, the only one that could lead to salvation. There's a picture here with the story of Joshua. Moses led them to the edge of the promised land, but he couldn't bring them in. Are you with me? He couldn't bring them in. Moses representing the law, the law can only take you so far. It was only Joshua that could lead them into the promised land. And it is only Jesus, our Joshua, who can lead us to salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way to salvation. And today, we can trust him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.